come back next week. We'll be back in the book of Galatians. Uh, but Exodus chapter 18 is the first spot. If you can hold all three, and I know you're very talented people, uh, the next place would be Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. And the last place is Luke chapter 5. So that would be, in order again, Exodus 18, that's in the Old Testament. And then Mark chapter 6, and then Luke chapter 5. Now if you forget, don't worry, because we're going to go in the order that is chronological here. Starting with, um, starting with Exodus chapter 18, now before I read just kind of a background, you see the, uh, you see the image on the slide. Back in January when we started the new year, well, let me take even two, two months further back than that. We moved into this property on October 1, uh, 2015. October, uh, to start the new year, uh, well, our new, uh, new year here uh, was two months after that. But we were into this property for the first time in October of 2015. We had moved two miles away because we were two miles down the road, a little closer to the city, for where we had been the previous uh, nine years in the Rockwood Office Park. <clears throat> Moved in here. <clears throat> Sorry, I've got allergies. Anyone else struggling with that? Uh, so I, I, we moved over here in October, and so we had two years to finish 2015, and then January 1 was the start of the new year here. Seven months later from the start of the new year, here we are because tomorrow is August. Well, what we did in January, we did something we had never done before. We did what we called a ministry Sunday. And I did a little topical message, and then we in the, out in the uh, fellowship hall there, we had tables of all the different ministry areas uh, that we have and that people could serve in. And, and it really was a, a beneficial day because we actually did gain servants serving in areas that were previously, we had bigger gaps. We still have some gaps in some areas, but those gaps became more narrow, and we actually filled uh, some very needed uh, areas of service. And so that was what we did to start the year, because we knew that God has given us a stewardship. What does that mean? Well, we have a responsibility. If you have a family, if you're a mom and dad, and you have, you have a stewardship to take good care of the house you've been given, the cars that they, they, they don't rust out, they don't, you know, you just don't, uh, you know, you, you have no attention or no care, uh, you have a stewardship of your health. Uh, it's important that uh, as adults we try and stay somewhat healthy so we actually can be around for our kids and grandkids. And so all of those things are areas of stewardship. And then, of course, the most important is spiritual stewardship, that we, that we maintain a right walk with the Lord. Well, that translates not only as an individual but also in a larger collective uh, as a church ministry. So Ministry Sunday back in January was how do we be even better stewards of this ministry so we can reach out to even more of Chesterfield County and Richmond. And God's been doing that. You know, starting with the beginning of the year, uh, we've seen uh, a little more than 10 kids get saved and about 10 adults come to Christ. That's awesome. Do you know heaven rejoice over one soul? So it's very important that, uh, that we continue to say, Lord, what can we do to be even more mature stewards and more faithful stewards over what you've given us. And so what we want to do in the middle of the year, it's not the exact middle of the year, that would have been uh, about 30 days ago, but we're pretty close. We've got five months left in the year. 
we already have to continue to consider, Lord, how do we be faithful? How are we faithful stewards with the growth? Because He has been adding families, and He had, has been adding children, uh, and we will have additional needs and additional challenges. Uh, the good news is, these are not really hard problems for God. He's handled this many, many times for the last 2,000 years since Jesus went back to heaven and he launched the church with the apostles. Uh, this is not new, but there's still new things to us, right? Um, it's not new that people have their very first brand new baby, but for my nephew, it's brand new to him that it happened to him yesterday, right? Brand, yeah, brand new to him. But not brand new to some of you that say, ah, we have six kids, big deal. You know, we've been there, done that. You know, let them eat anything on the floor, you know, that kind of thing. You know, it's not new news to everybody. But we'll get into some of these things as we look at the scriptures. So with that, I just want to set some context of what we're doing here today is uh, how do we continue to assess through the eyes of the Lord, Lord, how, how do we grow, how do we uh, manage uh, the operations and the things that you've placed in our hands, all for your glory and that more people would be discipled and come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Exodus chapter 18. You've all heard of this guy Moses, pretty well known. Let's start and see something that uh, Moses and his, uh, Moses' father-in-law observed in the ministry of Moses and then what he does to help him fine-tune and improve the way he's doing things. Starting um, in verse 14, Exodus 18, verse 14. So when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did for the people, he said, what is this thing that you are doing for the people? Why do, you, why do you alone sit and the people stand before you morning until evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people have come to inquire, of me, inquire uh, to me of God, and when they have a difficulty, they come to me, and I judge between one another, and I make known the statutes of God and his laws. So Moses, his father-in-law, said to him, the thing that you do is not good. Boy, don't you love when someone tells you this? You think you're doing a great job? Both you and the people who are with you will surely wear yourselves out, for this is too much for you, and you are not able to perform it by yourself. Listen now to my voice, and I will give you counsel, and God will be with you. Stand before God and for uh, for the people, that you may bring the difficulties to God. You shall teach them the statutes and the laws. You shall show them in the way they must walk and work they must do. Did you see that? There's a walk and there's a work that the people were called to do. Moreover, you shall select from all the people able men such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness. Boy, wouldn't it be nice to have this in our leaders? People of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of ten. And let them judge the people. Let them judge the people at all time. Then it will be that every great matter they shall bring to you, but every small matter they themselves shall judge. So it'll be easier for you, for they will bear the burden with you. If you do this thing, and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure, and this people will also go to their place in peace. Now, I personally want to endure. I know you want to endure. And I all know we all want to go to our place in peace. Don't you see God's plan here is that we would be people of endurance and people of peace and that we would experience peace. 
Verse 24, look at Moses' response. So Moses heeded the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he said. Isn't it great when you meet teachable people? Moses is 80 years old and still teachable. He says, all right, that sounds like really good advice. And he implements it, verse 25. And Moses chose able men out of Israel and made them heads of, uh, over the people, rulers of uh, thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. So they judged the people at all times. The hard cases they brought to Moses, but they judged every small case themselves. And then Moses let his father and all depart, and he went away to his own land. Now, let's turn to the ministry of Jesus. That was the ministry of Moses. Mark chapter 6. This will all make sense. Ministry of Jesus, the greater Moses. Moses said, someday the Lord will raise up to you a prophet like myself. Him you will hear. In other words, him you'll really hear. Because at times they didn't even listen to Moses. Actually, Jesus found out at times they didn't listen to him either, did they? But he is, Jesus is the world's greatest leader and the world's only savior. Let's take a look. Mark chapter 6, ministry of Jesus, starting verse 34. Just like Moses had a great love for the children of Israel, Jesus had a great love for everyone. You see it here in verse 34. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them. Because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. Remember, the, remember the, Moses' occupation before he became the ruler of Israel? He was a shepherd. Took him from she, tending sheep to tending people. David was a shepherd tending sheep. Then he became a king leading people. This is a common model of God to take people from much smaller responsibilities and train them up to much larger responsibilities. But Jesus looked at the people and they were like sheep not having a shepherd. So he began to what? Teach them many things. When the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him. This is a deserted place. The hour is already late. Send them away. They may go into the surrounding villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. He answered and said to them, you give them something to eat. They said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? But he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they found out, they said, we have five and two fish. So he commanded them to make them all sit down in groups on the green grass. They sat down in ranks in hundreds and in fifties. We'll stop right there because I'm not teaching this text the way you normally uh, would hear it about Jesus and the miracle and the feeding of the 5,000. But notice a couple things. His compassion, he has a group of disciples that come to him and he sends them out with what? Direction. Here's what you go do. Go find out how much food there is. Come back and tell me how much food there is. He gives them instruction. They come back, and then he takes it from there to the next level. Let's look at Luke chapter 5 as our last text. Luke chapter 5. Starting verse 3. Luke chapter 5, verse 3. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's. And asked him, so he says to Simon, put out a little from the land. In other words, push me in the boat out a little bit from the shoreline. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets 
for a catch. We'll stop right there. Again, there's, you could teach these many different ways because there's so much learning to be had in just these three areas. But I'm going to stitch them together, if you will, and look at them from a, one singular perspective. So Jesus here, again, he has a disciple. In this case, it's Peter's boat. Jesus gets into the boat and tells Simon to do what? Push the boat out a little bit. So he gives a specific instruction, which Simon actually follows and does. Pushes him out a little bit. It's probably a, uh, a rope so it's tied so it doesn't, go, doesn't keep drifting out. <laughs> you only want him to go so far out. But he does that, and then he begins to teach. And then after he teaches, he tells Simon, now I want you to go launch out into the deep for a great catch. Now, before we get into what this all means, let's pray. Lord, we thank you again for your word. We thank you, Jesus, that you are our shepherd. You're the one that teaches us, guides us. You were the shepherd of Moses. You were the shepherd of Peter. You were the shepherd of Paul. You're the shepherd of us. And Lord, we know that you desire us to grow. You said if, you abide, if we abide in you, you abide in us, we will grow and bear much fruit. Lord, we desire individually and as a church to continue to bear fruit, to bear more fruit And Lord, the fruit would be not only us transformed in your image, but the fruit of new salvations, new saved marriages, new changed lives. Lord, teach us, Lord, not only how to do, but what to do, when to do it, by the leading of your Spirit. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, these three texts... They all tell us something that I want to take a look at together that's important for us, and is how is it that we grow and that we continue to take the things that God's already given us to do and mature in them? I, I think Moses was already a very effective leader when Jethro arrived, don't you? I mean, he helped deliver. Uh, God did all the heavy lifting. I understand that. <laughs> God always does all the heavy lifting. But he still used Moses to go before Pharaoh. How many of you would stand before a king like Pharaoh that could take your neck off and go again and again and again and petition the way he did, much like John the Baptist went before Herod and lost his head for it? But Moses had been an effective leader, but yet God still says there is opportunity for you to improve, for the people to improve, to continue to grow. And I I look at... Uh, our church is a ministry, and I think that, man, I'm so grateful for all that God has done. You know, it truly is. The older you get, the more you little how much you, the more you realize how little you actually know. That's why Moses, I believe, is more teachable because the older you get, you realize, man, if you hear wisdom, you know it as soon as you hear it. You ever hear a nugget? You're like, man, that's good. I'm writing that down. And you should be that way. We should be teachable. Uh, but when we look at Jesus and we look at uh, this text in Exodus, it really helps us, I believe, uh, zero in on what it is that we need to be doing. And I have four things, you know, um, help if I turn this on. There we go. Four things we want to take a look at. You can go ahead and advance that one this morning. And as we grow, we're growing in grace. 
But there's four things here that I want to just touch on before we get into, we'll have a panel uh, come up and you'll have a chance to hear from some of our ministry leaders and things that we're thinking about and things that we're working through. Uh, It's my responsibility, again, if I look at the leaders in the Bible, Moses, Paul, Timothy, Peter, David, all of them as leaders, you notice that the first thing that Jethro told Moses was, you're going to have to continue to teach the people. Even though he said there has to be a modification of the ministry, you're going to have to distribute some of the workload. That's basically what he's telling them. You have to distribute some of the workload, but your primary goal is teaching. Acts chapter 6, what took place? The church was exploding, Acts chapter 6. The apostles were so busy working on tons of little things that they had no longer they had time to pray and read the word. This is a big problem. The Holy Spirit said, that's got to stop. So they said, time out. Choose for yourself men that we can put over these different things. What, what you see in Acts chapter 6 is the exact same advice from the Holy Spirit that was back in Exodus chapter 18, that you have to have, as the ministry grows, you have to have people put over areas, and they have to love and shepherd that ministry the same way a shepherd loves and cares for uh, the sheep. So... My responsibility, and any spiritual leader's responsibility, and this is the responsibility of you as parents in your own homes, is you've got to educate and teach your children. Moses said to the children of Israel that they were to teach the children. They were write it on the front of their foreheads, write it on their hands, teach them while they're walking down the road, teach them when they're rising, teach them when they're sitting, right? So the same instruction God gave Moses for the children of Israel, he gave to the children of Israel for their own children. And so the first thing we have to do uh, if you have any kind of leadership, if you're a stay-at-home mom, you have a leadership role. You're teaching the kids. If you're a mom or a dad, you certainly have that in the family. If you are teaching in a Sunday school class or you're teaching in a men's group or whatever, the first thing is we have to educate and teach the Word. We have to teach people. Not, we're not educating our opinion. We're just teaching what the Word of God says. Now, Jesus, he's the only person that has nothing to learn. Remember that. He's the only person ever walked on the face of the earth that had nothing to learn from anybody. He only came to teach. You ever notice that no one ever was teaching Jesus? Even as a 12-year-old, we find him teaching the temple. Now, the reality is he was very submissive to his parents and, 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 and received um, whatever they would ask him to do. But as far as learning something, that something that uniquely he didn't need. But he does come to teach us. And we all need to continue to learn, and we need to continue to grow individually. We need to continue to learn and grow as families, uh, as a church. I remind our family, I have three daughters, I remind them all the time that we've got to keep learning. We've got to keep growing. We've got to keep reading. We've got to keep understanding. We can understand people better. We can understand each other better. You know, even as a family, I can understand my wife and daughters way better next year than I do today. Do you realize that? There's an infinite level because we're so imperfect that we have so much room to continue to grow in these things. It's been well said that if you stop learning, you stop growing. That's why I'm glad you come on a Sunday morning. I'm glad you come on a Wednesday night. And when I teach, I'm teaching to me too, just so you know. It's it's not... You people need this. I feel the same way. 
Disciples are always learning. The disciples, everything, do you realize every time Jesus gave them instruction, he was teaching them? Jesus never gave kind of random thoughts. Everything was a training mechanism. He was pointing them in direction. He was sharpening the arrow with them. Disciples are always learning. They're always maturing. They're always becoming more effective over time. Yes, there are days when we feel like we've learned nothing. You ever feel that, that, that way? Matter of fact, there's days that we not only feel like we learn nothing, we feel like we went backwards. And by the way, that is, there, that is a truth of life. We as a church, we do take two steps forward and one step back on a regular basis. But I got news, we do that in our personal life too, don't we? Everyone, that's part of life. I mean, the children of Israel, they wandered for 40 years. Talk about some steps backwards. Jesus will let us have failures because we actually learn from failures. So that don't, don't ever think, well, if I start to l- really grow, I'll no longer have missteps. No, we'll always have missteps. Always. There are failures and mistakes, but as disciples, we learn from those too. Peter had a big one there at the night of the cross, didn't he? He learned from that. He became a much more committed follower from that. Notice that Moses was already a good teacher, and the advice of Jethro was, again, to continue to, uh, to teach, but also what? To pray. We've got to continue to grow in prayer. I've got to continue to grow in prayer. You have to continue to grow in prayer. Moses was said to be a man that was going before God for the people. He had to continue to grow in prayer. It's an important thing. If you want to pray for me, you can pray that I grow in prayer, that I continue to grow in prayer, that I every year grow in prayer. This is important for any of us, but it's especially important the more responsibility you have. But even though he was told to continue to preach, and even though he's continued to teach, and even though he was continued to grow in prayer, there there were other components that were still necessary. And as we see from Jesus in Mark 6 and 5, Uh, Jesus was also compelled to teach. In both cases, he had compassion on the multitude, and he began to teach them many things there in the book of Mark. Then in the boat, he starts teaching again. He sees that they are all gathered there, and he knows they need to learn from God. And that's why we open the word of God here. But even as he was teaching, he made some adjustments and gave some instructions based on the specific need for that moment and that context. It's true that we shouldn't, everything in life, we shouldn't approach with a hammer, right? We should have a tool bag. The Bible's like, it's the same, if you look at the Bible, it's one toolbox. Everything in there is the whole counsel of God. But when I'm talking to a person, I don't just say, I know one verse, it's John 3, 16, no matter what, that's all you're going to hear from me, right? They're grieving. I know John 3, 16. They're excited. I know, you know, no matter what, I only, that's all I know. There has to be some context. Let's look at the next uh, point on the cycle here. Motivate. Well, in biblical terms, this word is exhort. You'll see this in the Bible, to exhort. Yeah, some people have a gift to exhortation. Don't you love when you, have people that, you meet people that have that gift and they're able to motivate people? This is the most successful coaches in sports are people who are able to motivate other people. And some of you might say, well, that's not a spiritual term. I don't think motivation is, is anywhere in the Bible. Well, yes, it is. 
Paul told Timothy, I want to stir you up. He said that. He said, I want to stir you up that the gifts that are in you, you start using them and you would be courageous and be bold. Those are words of exhortation. Those are pushing, you know, those of you who've had parents, no, you can do this. I can't. No, you can. You're motivating, you're exhorting. All these are forms of discipleship. Once we, tre- once we teach, and once we train, and once we disciple, even once we've taught someone something, if you say, well, I've taught them a skill, or I've taught them a truth that's in their head, you still then have to encourage them to use that. Does that make sense? It would be one thing to know something, but a lot of people know stuff and never do anything with it. Jesus wants us to take from knowing it to what? Applying it. And a lot of times, you need encouragement. You have, people need to be encouraged basically for two reasons. One, they're either really lazy or they're really afraid. And that this is all people. Or it's a combination of both. I deal with all those same things too. And sometimes it's just tired and you need someone to motivate. You can still do it. But we have to encourage. We need encouragement from one another that God will help us complete the very tasks he's given us. With God's help, not our own, we can do this. Whatever this is, whatever God's put in our hand. Remember he said to Moses, what's in your hand? That's a staff. God says, I'm going to take that staff and I'm going to have you use it in ways you've never used it before. Um, It's amazing what God can take something little. Uh, I've been running for the last few months and I tell my, uh, when I go for a run, I had more people these days have protection dogs than I've ever seen. And they're really getting on my nerves, by the way, when I, when I go for a run. Because I, if I have one more person tell me that he's really nice and, uh, and they think they have him this much on the leash, but they have him like this much on the leash, um, if I'm ever going to lose it, that's where it's going to happen. But, um, <laughs> so the other day I'm running on this trail and I come around a corner and there's this dog coming my way and he looks like half Weimaraner, half Lab. And he doesn't have a happy look on his face. And it's me and him, and there's woods on both sides, and there's nowhere else. And I've, I've got a stick in my hand. And he gave me a look like he was going to... He came straight at me. And I mean, this was not... I raised the stick up, and he did run. And I was like, hey, this works. You know, uh, <laughs> this whole staff thing, I now know why. Shepherds carry staffs, and... They had wolves to deal with, but uh, I was like, this is not going to go well. I exhorted him to move on, but uh, I had lots of motivation. But the thing is, God will put something in our hand that eventually we'll have to use it. Otherwise, it's pointless. God gives you skills, he gives you gifts, he gives you talents. They're to be used. And he pushes you out and says you can do them. Philippians 4.13, Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The things that God's given us to do, he wants us to do. Now notice um, what Jesus tells Peter. We looked at, he's in the boat. He tells Peter after he teaches, now go launch out in the deep. Now they had toiled all night and caught nothing. And Jesus said, I'm going to encourage you that this time you're going to have a catch. Maybe, brother and sister, you failed at certain things God's asked you to do before, but God would tell you, this time, you're going to have a catch. 
You just have to redo it again. God, God allows us to fail numerous times to see if we're doing it for the right motives or right reasons. And he'll come back and say, yeah, I, I didn't let you catch a bunch of fish before, but now that I know your heart's more humble, you're going to see men and women come to know the Lord. You're going to be successful at that ministry, whatever it may be. When, the, um, when Jesus first met Peter, he told him, you'll be a fisher of men. That didn't come immediate. It took some time, didn't it? It takes some time for you and I to grow into whatever God's asked us to do. But we have to believe that when God says, now it's time to move forward, we do it. Moses later sent out 12 spies to spy out the land. They all come back. Ten of them said, there's no way. It's a hopeless cause. We're going to be destroyed. Two of them said, we can take it. It's awesome land. we got to go. We need to move now. Guess which two would go on and see victory? Guess which two would go on to be great leaders and beneficial leaders to Israel? Well, that was Joshua and that was Caleb. They motivated and encouraged the people. Everyone else discouraged the people and demotivated the people. We need to be an entire body that motivates and encourages one another. We need to all be Joshua and Caleb's. The the other ten spies, there's enough of those spies still all over the world today. Moses did not need more people telling the people, we can't do it, it'll never work. No. You have to be a person that exhorts, a person that encourages. We all must do that. The next thing on, uh, on the list here is to, to delegate. Now, Moses was told that uh, he was going to have to continue to do what he was doing, but the added component here was that you're going to have to spread the workload and you're going to have to find men that can be raised up over groups, different size groups, all the way down to a group of as small as 10. Now, Moses was, an anointed, was, a, was clearly anointed by God. He was a gifted leader. He clearly loved people. That's, that's, an important, uh, that's an important missing ingredient in many of our leaders today. They don't love people, especially our political leaders. They do not love people. They love themselves, but they don't love people. When you have someone that loves people, then you can actually trust. Moses, he truly could be trusted. Paul could be trusted. Of course, Jesus can be trusted because they love people. But you have to love people. But even Moses, to a certain extent, he almost loved the people to a fault because he was doing more than he could possibly handle because he loved them that much. He was like, you need this, I'll do that. You need this, I'll do that. And Jethro said, you know, that's a good good heart, but it won't, in the end, work for you and it won't for the people. So God sends Jethro to help Moses. And really, I'd say he sent Jethro to help every leader that would come after Moses. Every leader ever since has been, has, uh, has been helped and certainly been benefited, has benefited from uh, this council. He sent Jethro to help Moses understand, as we already noted, was still a, a teachable uh, person at the age of 80, that he could never do the job of leading and teaching all alone. It, it, it required uh, a group of people as God would mature the body and mature the leaders. And... It will need. There will have to be people that are willing to take on responsibility because as he delegates to Joshua or whatever, Aaron, his brother, and all the way down the line it goes, 
They would have to be willing to take on more responsibility, to navigate adversity. The higher up you go in responsibility, the more adversity you will get, uh, certainly in the spiritual world, from the enemy, but everything else. But you also will see more opportunities, but you'll also see more challenges, and all these things have to be navigated. And D.L. Moody was a great evangelist, also a gifted leader, but he said, I'd rather get 10 men to do the job than to do the job of 10 men. He realized what Jesus said. All the way in the beginning, Adam and Eve were told to what? Be fruitful and multiply. Discipleship is that you multiply, that you actually, two become four, and four become eight, and eight becomes 16. It's this uh, principle of multiplication. But you have to have effective leadership and loving leadership in place. In Titus, Paul, um, Paul speaking to Titus says this in Titus chapter 1, verse 3 through 5. He said, manifested his word through preaching, which was committed to me. There's the teaching again. There's the word. The word was the foundation. And he says, to Titus, a true son in our common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from the God and Father and Lord Jesus Christ. For this reason, I left you in Crete, that you should set and order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded. Paul said, to really see Crete and the church there flourish, you're going to have to put leaders in the various areas. Go do it. This is what Moses was told. This is what Paul was told. I love this quote from Noel Voss. It says, success without a successor is a failure. Success without a successor is a failure. I, I've talked to all of our ministry leaders and said, just keep praying that God helps you identify and raise up an assistant that is a mirror to yourself and you know, you're sick, you're out of the, you know, you know, on vacation, they're able to do the same things you can do. And so, and then that assistant trains up another person, so you actually multiply. But growth, it always means extending leadership out. And uh, in the case of the scriptures, it's to extend that leadership out to godly men and godly women. There's lots of places where God has godly women serving in the body of Christ, and we do here. And the purpose is collective growth that we all grow in grace and we all mature in grace. And this principle of multiplication uh, really always brings glory to God. Now, I understand and we all understand that people don't always want more responsibility. Like I mentioned, my nephew, whether he wants more responsibility, he now has more responsibility. As soon as you have a mouth to feed, you have more responsibility. It's why uh, the writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews 5.12, for by this time you ought to be teachers. The apostles always dealt with the fact that people didn't all, Moses didn't always want to come forward, but God says, come forward, grow a little more, take on more responsibility. Now, when there's a growth in leaders and there's a growth in people's abilities uh, to teach and to train and disciple, and then there's a willingness to go forward, uh, when that exists, then the capacity of ministry grows. And what happens? More lives are touched. More people are touched. This is what we see in Acts chapter 6. When the apostles were deeper in the word and deeper in prayer and the disciples went out, the church exploded well beyond, eventually exploded well beyond Jerusalem. And so this is God's, this is God's heart. This is God's model. Jesus... Um, here, in, in when you look about, uh, we look at delegation, we see how Moses selected these men. But Jesus did it here too. He personally selected his 12 disciples, didn't he? 
And then he entrusted them with things. He didn't say, hey, I'm going to go find out, because I don't trust you guys, I'm going to go find out how much food is in, in this multitude. He said, you go tell me. Whatever they reported back, he said, all right, so now you gave me the information, I'll take it from here. He entrusted them. Hey, Peter, um, I'm going to push myself off the boat. He didn't say that. He said, Peter, you put me out. He entrusted them with responsibility. They had to fan out. They had to do the food distribution. Now, once he actually multiplied, did you know who he sent out to the groups? Them. He didn't say, you guys sit here and watch how it's done. He went out. He handed it to them, but then they had to go and distribute it. Which brings us to the last thing here. Innovate. And another word for this would be adjust. When there is growth, there always has to be innovation. Uh, and when I say innovation, the, the, the uh, dictionary's term for this is the act of, or process of inventing or introducing something new. Um, this is not like inventing something brand new. Doctrinally, we have nothing to invent. We have all the scriptures. But Jesus would do different things at different times. He didn't always sit in a boat, Right? There wasn't always a lake available to sit in a boat. Understand that. So he didn't do the same things all the time. It was based on the need. Uh, you, want, you want to teach your children how to innovate. You say, well, really? Yeah. Let's say your child's four. Hey, you have a sock under the bed. Why don't you get it? I can't. All right, well, let's leave it there for the rest of your life. No, if you're like, I grew up, say, all right, you got a leg? Yep. Can you extend all the way underneath the bed? Use your foot to pull it out? All right, that's called innovation. You got a coat hanger? No, well, here's how you do it. You know, they don't just do marshmallows. They also extend this way, and you reach it all the way under. You got a baseball bat? You know, there's all kinds of things to get the sock out, right? And so we have to adjust as needed. Jesus, um, here he is. There's a crowd, huge crowd. Now, I've been to the Sea of Galilee, and the way the land goes up, he can actually get people much, much closer to them, and the acoustics and the, um, uh, the acoustics will be better if he says, bring them all the way to the shoreline, and I'll get out on the flat surface of the water, and my voice will project, and we can get people even closer. Now, when you think about things like our own church, the same, th- same principles. God, give us wisdom on how... How do we do things like seating? Those things matter to God. He brought them all closer. He gets in the boat. And it's a great way to actually have everyone be able to hear and participate in a setting that um, optimizes that uh, specific uh, setting and surroundings. When the food had to be distributed, he told the disciples, go tell them to get in groups. Why? Because it's for distribution, it's much easier to distribute when people are in little groups like that than it's just a, you know, did you get anything? You've got them in a specific area. Group one got taken care of. Group two got taken care of. Group three got taken care of. That's why, you know, if you go to the elementary school, they have this first grade class, this first grade class. That's just a sea of humanity. Now you have to use some level of adjustment to make these things practical. In the vast majority of cases, it's not inventing something new, but it is introducing a new tactic or a tool of facilitating harmony and cohesiveness. Um, Again, there's nothing 
We have the doctrines of the scripture, we have the gospel, that doesn't change. But we do need adjustments sometimes. We need structure, we need logistics to deliver the message of the gospel. We do that, we've adjusted in our lifetime. We now as a church, we use Facebook. Five, seven years ago we didn't. We used the website. Not too long ago, 10, 15 years ago, hardly anybody had a website. 15 years ago, hardly anybody had a website. Now everybody has a website. Uh, we're redoing the website that it works for mobile phones and form factors because more people actually uh, get their information on a phone device now than laptops and things like that. So it's not, I didn't invent these things, but we adjust so we can actually get the gospel out there in every way possible. Uh, I mentioned my nephew having a brand new child um, as far as adjustments go. Uh, do you guys remember the adjustments of life when you had your first child? It wasn't, let's just go to Chili's tonight. Someone screaming in the background at the top of their lungs, right? Airplane rides became different. I mean, lots of things become different. You have to adjust. And adjustments will be made because the infant is now in charge of your priorities, right? Growth brings change. When a family grows, it changes. We have, our family changes when our daughters get older. It's different with teenage girls than it is with three-year-old girls. Lots of things are different. I learn every year. Lots of things are different. <laughs> Three and four children have a different impact than one or two. All of a sudden, the minivan looks cool after all. <laughs> How are we all going to get into a Mini Cooper? You know, it's just it's not going to work. You have to make adjustments. Walter Elliott said, perseverance is not a long race. It is many short races, one after another. And that's kind of the way life is, isn't it? It's a lot of short races where you kind of adjust, and that, you adjust again, and you adjust again, and that's part of the Christian life and growing. You can't have growth without perseverance, and we have to regularly adjust. And so I personally want to say thank you to all of you as just the body of Christ here and all that you do to continue to be teachable, to grow, to learn. That I know that most of, most of you I've known, some of you I don't know, but the ones that I do know, I know your heart is that we really do reach this city for Christ. And you know that these things are important. We have to adjust just like you do in your family. And so really, uh, this next phase, as we wanna, I want to bring our ministry leaders up. We want to just talk for a few minutes about some of the questions that people had put in there, and we want to look uh, to the future. But while we get the stage ready, uh, we'll put the chairs up. I want to show you a little video. It's five minutes. All that's taken place from January till now, and I'm, I'm sure we're missing some things, but this should give you a pretty good idea. We've got a little musical, the year in review for seven months, and then we'll want to bring up some of our ministry leaders. want to answer some of the questions that were submitted and, uh, and just kind of continue in this vein of thought of uh, how do we continue to grow with the Lord's help. So watch the video, and then I'm going to have these guys come up. Thank mm-hmm. you. 